really the opportunity to live and work in a country, to learn new cultures, to learn new languages, to build lasting memories with people you meet along the way. Um, you know, by the end of the experience, you've gained a better perspective of who you are and what you want to become. Welcome to the show, Canadians Work and Travel Abroad, a podcast by Go International Work and Travel Providers about all things to do with working and traveling overseas. I'm Tamsin Plaxton, host of the show and founder of Go International. I'm also an avid international traveler. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Canadians Work and Travel Abroad. I'm really excited today to be joined by a guest from the Canadian government. It's Sean Lynch, and he is a member of the International Experience Canada team. Um, Sean, welcome to the show. Emson, it's great to see you again, and thank you very much for inviting me onto the podcast. Yeah. So for our listeners, I just want to um, start with a little note, uh, and I, um, I am going to read this, but it's just a note to say that this podcast episode is an interview with a representative of the International Experience Canada program, a Canadian Government of Canada initiative, and Go International is a partner of this program. The Government of Canada encourages everyone um, to research the health and admissibility requirements of the country they wish to visit, including any remaining requirements related to COVID-19 pandemic. And also just to note, as Go International only records episodes of Canadians work and travel abroad in English, no French equivalent of this interview is available in audio format, but the transcript saved to our website can be translated into any, any language online. So with that little um, sort of advanced disclaimer, I guess we can jump into our show today. Um, Sean, um, maybe we could start with just having you tell everyone, what's your role at the IEC and how long have you worked there? Sure. So I've been with International Experience Canada for seven years now, uh, working on various files and for the last few years, working with organizations such as your own, um, managing some key partnerships with Canadian organizations that support youth work and travel programs, which is similar to the mandate of our program. Um, before IEC, I was uh, also with uh, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, working on settlement program issues for newcomers. And I've also had the opportunity to work in the health and environment portfolios in the federal government. I love how careers in the government go. You get so many experiences. <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a microcosm of so many different wonderful experiences. So the IEC, I, I know it, but I think for the listener's sake, could you explain exactly what does IEC stand for? What is it? What is the initiative? Some people call it a program. Some people call it an initiative. Um, and, um, you know, how does it work? Yeah. Happy to do so. Uh, so International Experience Canada is part of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada. So we're the arm of government that deals with temporary and permanent migration. Um, and International Experience Canada, or IEC, is Canada's flagship youth mobility program. And it offers Canadian and foreign national youth the opportunity to work and travel in another country for a defined period. The program began really in the 1950s um, with a few agreements, mainly with European countries. Um, you know, it was kind of in that that time where, um, you know, there was a lot of reconciliation and relationship rebuilding after the Second World War. And so we started, you know, from that, that source. Um, we slowly built up uh, new arrangements. Uh, we had a, 
a really big push in the early 2000s to add new and more diverse relationships. So, you know, and that continues to this day. Uh, right now, we're at 37 country partners. Um, but at, at its simplest, so the Canadian government and the governments of the other countries and territories have agreed to allow each other's populations to obtain a work permit or visa to explore a new country and its culture and, you know, all of the other elements of, of you know, international travel while being legally able to work. So each agreement with each of, you know, Canada's partners is a little different in terms of how long you can stay, uh, the age limits, then the types of eligible work. But generally it's open to 18 to 35 year olds and allows for stays of up to two years. And it allows for slightly different work permit experiences. So the most popular of our categories, if you will, is the working holiday program. So that's an open work permit and it allows you to generally work where you want and for as long you want, as long as you want in the country of choice within the maximum stay allowed. But there are also two other categories that are more employer specific. Um, so what we term young professionals is where you've left the academic stream, but you're entering into the phase of your career and you want to season that career with international experience. So you, you can find an employer that will hire you in, you know, your industry or your métier um, for that experience. Um, and there's also international co-op, which is for those who are still in the post-secondary stream, uh, their educational career, and uh, they have a, a cooperative opportunity. They want to work in a graded experience that will basically add to their academic credentials. That's another option under the program. So the great thing about IEC is it operates as a reciprocal opportunity. So we offer the youth a chance to gain an international experience for, for nationals from our country partners and Canadians to those country partners. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that it started in the 50s and it's really accelerated in terms of number of country opportunities since the early 2000s. And um, I had the opportunity to go when I was a university student. I took a, a summer between I think it was second and third year of my undergraduate. Well, that was I'm going to age myself here, but that was a long time ago. That was in the 80s. And I think at that time there were only like a handful of countries I could have gone to. And the one everybody was going to at the time was Australia. And I went to Australia and I worked at Ayers Rock in the middle of the Simpson Desert. And it was an incredible way to spend a summer between years of university. And, but, you know, I think if I had known of the opportunities that exist today, like if those were open to me, like Japan and Korea and Costa Rica, there's so many great opportunities now. Uh, yeah. Canadian. And, and, you know, as I'll mention later on in our discussion, we're, we're trying to find more opportunities and trying to diversify, diversify even more. Yeah. So what, do you, what are you, what would you say are the benefits to Canada? First of all, in, in this initiative or program, why, why would Canada even want to participate in this? And what are the benefits to the participants in Canada? Yeah. So starting with the participants, you know, it's, it's really an unparalleled opportunity to live and work in another country and earn money while you're doing it. You know, you can tour, you can have an academic exchange, you can you know, do many things uh, along the spectrum of international experience. But Really, the opportunity to live and work in a country, to learn new cultures, to learn new languages, to build lasting memories with people you meet along the way. Um, you know, by the end of the experience, you've gained a better perspective of who you are and what you want to become. You know, you learn to become more flexible and adaptable um, and to think differently. 
you know, and last but not least at the individual level, there's the opportunity to be able to put on your resume that you've had international work experience, and that can have a real cachet with many employers. The benefits for Canada, you know, really are to equip our youth with the experience they need to be able to participate in the economy and to grow as citizens as well. Um, and for foreign national youth, it's an opportunity to explore Canada, um, you know, work and contribute to our economy, um, perhaps, you know, want to come back in some form. Um, but it also is a bilateral relations booster, you know, where you have memories of Canada, hopefully good memories of Canada, and, and that has a lasting impact in terms of our international relations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they often say, like, it's pretty hard to imagine going to war against a country that you, you worked and traveled in at some time in your life, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you start to build those kind of personal relationships through this experience, um, I, I, I notice that every country I've traveled to in the world, my ears perk up when I hear that country in the news. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm much more connected now to the countries I've been to, having had that kind of close up experience. And I like what you, you know said. That, about- you have that, that point in time reflection on having been there, yeah. knowing the streets, knowing the, the, the regions, knowing the cities, knowing the people, you know, and that right. makes, as you say, the news much more real, but also the need for us to get along, you know, as, as countries and societies, yeah. that much more real as well. Yeah. And you, and you no longer see these people as just uh, a country on a map, but you see faces and names when you hear the names the country in the news, you know, someone sure. you worked with or someone you traveled with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the boosting of the resume, I think you said getting that international work experience. I, I know I had an interview with a law firm when I graduated from university. And the only reason they gave me the interview was they said they were curious about my job experiences in Switzerland and Australia. And they thought that was unique and they wanted to bring me in, but yeah. that gave me the foot in the door for the interview. And I, from there I had to kind of make it on my own. But yeah. And we've heard many of those kinds of stories before too, where, you know, that that's the hook that gets you that, that interview or, or gets you the job. So um, what type of work experiences are Canadians allowed to do when they go abroad on an IEC facilitated uh, work permit? Are there any restrictions on the type of work they can do or is it completely open? I mean, it, it depends again on the category, but you know, really the sky's the limit, you know, I mean, you can kind of choose your own path um, depending on, you know, what the countries offer you, what kind of categories, how long you can stay, you know, what kind of jobs are available there. Um, But really the sky's the limit. I mean, as mentioned, you know, the IEC pathways cover the working holiday side, um, but also these two more specific categories that allow you to have a more in-depth experience in your chosen field. Um, by far the most popular option is obviously the working holiday because it, it's the most flexible, you know, and in most cases, you know, an open work permit gives the participant of the freedom, uh, to stay in one or more jobs over the defined period they're allowed to stay in the country. So you can basically take a job, decide you, you want to travel to within the country or an adjacent country, come back to that country, work some more, earn some more money, you know, uh, make more connections. That's the way it can go, you know? Um, so, you know, the majority of youth, I think will, will find jobs in places like hospitality, hotels, resorts, restaurants, but it doesn't mean that, uh, we haven't seen, you know, participants in, in more professional fields. Um, we've seen youth, you know, work in science and tech in business and marketing in health and childcare, um, agriculture, and even the arts and culture field. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's true. I've seen that um, both ways, right? Canadians going abroad, the ones that we send abroad, and also Canadians coming in here to Canada. Uh, you know, some some of the country agreements, and I'm sure you're going to explain this, some of them allow them to stay up to two years. And for an employer in today's a labor market, someone willing to stay two years is actually a long contract for us, you know, yeah. as employers. So, um, you know, there's no hesitancy for many employers to hire someone on a two-year work permit uh, for something that might be a very uh, career or professional position. A lot mm -hmm. of people are in and getting jobs in marketing and in office administration positions, not not what we would have traditionally thought of as sort of seasonal jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, it's really expanded, you know, and, you know, during COVID, we had an opportunity to examine some of these, you know, some of the jobs that people were having because we were able to get more information from some of the youth. Um, and it was amazing to see the range of jobs that were available and, and being taken uh, by youth on the inbound side, and I would argue on the outbound side, too. Can you give us an idea about how many Canadians are taking up this opportunity and going uh, abroad on one of the IEC category programs? Yeah. So... You know, pre-COVID, and we have to preface a lot of stuff with pre-COVID, um, we were seeing between eighteen and 20,000 youth go abroad through the pathways that we've negotiated with our country partners. Um, now, during the pandemic, of course, that trickled down to nothing because of all of the health, public health and travel restrictions that were imposed. As things hopefully continue to normalize, IEC now hopes that we're going to be able to see that that you know pre-COVID level, or even better uh, going forward. There's a, there is a pent-up demand, I think, for a lot of youth to be able to have that experience, and so we're hoping to see that uptick. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of the countries have only just opened, so I think yeah. a lot of Canadians have been waiting for those foreign countries to open their borders and to allow Canadians to come back. Uh, can Canadians go abroad on this initiative more than once? And, and what are the rules around that? Yeah. So you know, for foreign nationals. The, the general rule for most of the agreements is twice per lifetime to come to Canada. A Canadian going out, you know, can basically plan on visiting any number of the countries that we have agreements with. So, you know, most youth mobility arrangements between Canada and the other countries um, actually allow for, you know, twice per lifetime participation for each country. So what that practically means is you could go to Australia or you could, and then decide to go to Italy um, and then decide, you know, after your, your time there is done to apply to go to another country. It, it really provides between that 18 to 35 year limit. Um, it provides a lot of opportunity for Canadians to explore different regions of the world, really. So, you know, the great thing is a Canadian can choose to work and travel up to these, these, limits between the ages of 30, 35, or 18 to 35. Yeah, technically someone could leave, um, apply on their 18th birthday, leave as soon as they're ready, and then not come back until they're 36 years old yeah, <laughs> and work and travel sure. all over the world. Why does the IRC work with recognized organizations like Go International? I know, because I know a lot of people probably ask, why does the, I, um, why does the IRCC have this relationship? with organizations, private organizations and not-for-profits. So what, what's the benefit to Canada? And I think yeah, there are multiple benefits. I mean, it's understood that as a government-run program, um, you know, we can't provide the individualized support for those youth who may need some help in planning their international experience. 
So you know, we do a lot of work to promote and support international experience pathways. Um, but these partnerships with a key set of Canadian youth expert organizations are one way of us trying to support youth in realizing their international experience. So the value of the partnerships that we term recognized organizations or ROs, so these are the strategic partnerships we have with expert organizations like yours, um, you know, you really provide the support youth need in terms of helping to plan an international experience. You help expand the reach of the program, um, you know, through other promotional channels and, you know, contact with youth that we may not be able to have very easily. And then I can't understate the, the value of the real-time intelligence um, that our recognized organization partners provide to us on how the arrangements, some, some of the IEC pathways are actually functioning. So are they functioning as intended? Um, are they efficient from, you know, the immigration standpoint? Um, you know, and whether it be like, flagging to us that there's a problem with our system or flagging to us that there are you know, barriers, um, probably unintended barriers to uh, Canadian youth being able to fully realize an international experience abroad. That's a real help to us. And finally, you know, uh, recognized organizations provide the you know, kind of feeder stock for, you know, recruiting youth who've been on an international experience to tell us about that experience. And, you know, we have a YouTube channel where we have some testimonial videos to kind of illustrate, you know, both what a youth can do when they go abroad, but how it changes them, how it benefits them. Um, and that's been a great source of uh, support for us to be able to, you know, interview some of your past clients on their experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I must comment on how responsive your team has been when we do raise barriers, as you said, and, and they're always, in, they're always um, unintended. I mean, I think yeah. the right hand often doesn't know what the left hand is doing in a lot of governments because, you know, departments are big and, and sometimes these are cross department uh, issues, but you know, there might be a program set up in a country, but another department of the, of that country doesn't even know all the details of the program. And so you've been wonderful about uh, sort of addressing those on the political level when we needed to have them addressed and help our clients to, to, Thank you. to you know, achieve their goals. So thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, so you've been around this program a lot. What do you see as the most popular destinations for Canadians um, going abroad to work and travel? And, and why would you say that is? Well, I mean, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, the big five or six, right? The, the countries that Canada is drawn to because of perhaps cultural or linguistic ties, you know, historical ties, um, you know, and, and speaking of countries like the UK, Ireland, France, Australia, New Zealand, um, we are seeing, or we were seeing pre-COVID, um, you know, a lot more traction for from what we consider maybe non-traditional destinations or destinations that didn't have quite as many people interested, like Japan, Italy, Spain, um, the Netherlands, um, Germany, you know, places where, you know, it, the reality is you have to learn the language uh, to be able to adapt to the work culture. I mean, these are all very, you know, well-developed, internationalized countries, and English and French are spoken widely um, in many of them. 
but you still have to have that linguistic and cultural adaptation that's a bit bigger than the old, you know, uh, you know, historical country tied or uh, countries like UK and, and, and France. Yeah, definitely. And I would say we see the same trends. You know, when you mentioned Japan, that was the one that came to my mind in terms of what I see from um, the staff in our office who are dealing with participants from Canada on a regular basis. And, and they're fielding a lot of questions. Um, Japan comes up a lot. Uh, yeah. but, but there's also interest in um, new and emerging programs as well and opportunities. I mean, like Costa Rica, we're seeing more and more interest in yeah. Canadians yeah. wanting to go to somewhere because it's Latin America, but it's also perceived as sort of safe. And yeah, which I, I guess would be a rationale for one of the reasons why that's one of the Latin American countries that you've signed an agreement with. But I'm, I'm curious, over the last 10 years, you said you've signed quite a lot of new agreements. Um, what was the reason for wanting to sign so many? And and do you have any plans to continue to expand? How much can you share with us about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, historically, it's always been seen as an important bilateral relations sweetener, you know, and, and so I think there was a an effort in the early 2000s to really expand the reach of the program. Um, and I see, you know, did they, we do have a strategy in place to try to diversify and expand the number of youth mobility arrangements we have. Um, but we also have to ensure, and I think you alluded to this, you know, in terms of the safety, the economic uh, opportunities abroad and that sort of thing, um, there has to be, you know, benefit to Canada and to Canadians. So, you know, IRCC is constantly re- reviewing um, the current set of relationships to try to improve them. And we're in negotiations with countries on, you know, adding to that list of available countries where we have this reciprocal opportunity. Are there any regions of the world where you've got to focus on right now in terms of growth? Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think it's, if you look at the map of the, you know, countries we deal with, it is by and large very Eurocentric. Um, that's understandable from a certain standpoint, but, you know, puzzling from another standpoint. So obviously other continents that we don't have as much presence on, you alluded to Central and South America. Right now we only have uh, active partnerships with Costa Rica and Chile, but hoping for more there. Africa would be a wonderful you know, uh, continent to, to, uh, be able to add countries for, and obviously South and Southeast Asia. I mean, that those are the, the growth areas. We already have a lot of European support, um, you know, uh, strong Asian support as well. And obviously Australia and New Zealand, two very popular areas and ones that are really, uh, you know, as hungry for youth and labor market support as we are. So, um, you know, it's a combination, but it's also a process. We have to make sure that, you know, that question, what's in it for Canada, what's in it for Canadians is being considered when we enter into new arrangements. So it sounds like a complex process because there's so many yeah. things to balance. Um, what, what, like how much work goes into these agreements? I don't think a lot of Canadians understand what goes on behind the scenes to create these opportunities for youth to, to travel abroad. I think they think, oh, well, why doesn't Canada just sign an agreement with Mexico or sign an agreement with, you know, Argentina? Because I want to go there. But I'm, I'm sure there's a lot in the process that we don't see. So without getting into too much, you know, detail, but, you know, how much work is involved in it? And how long would you say it takes in terms of time to negotiate a bilateral agreement? And I'm sure there's these are, government these are complex issues, complex, you know, negotiations um, with, 
you know, countries who have different motivations. Um, sometimes they align, sometimes they don't with ours. But first and foremost, the government of Canada and the other national governments have to carefully negotiate and review the terms of new or renewed agreements to make sure that they benefit youth and the economy. You know, the agreements often involve complex diplomatic and international negotiations, and sometimes it takes years to complete because they require numerous stages between the government of Canada and uh, a foreign country or territory, um, you know, sometimes up to the point where, you know, a treaty has to be signed or, you know, the addition of an IEC pathway abroad has to be enshrined in legislation. Um, but once we do have the agreement, you know, the work doesn't stop there's still the need to continue to liaise with the foreign government partners to ensure that things are running smoothly for Canadian participants and for foreign nationals as well. Um, we obviously manage the immigration process on the inbound side for the foreign nationals coming in to the program. And as mentioned before, we're all constantly trying to find ways to better promote the pathway so that Canadian youth can make that choice. And I guess you rely on the foreign governments to give you the statistics about number of Canadians going abroad because they're they're managing the immigration side on their end, right? Correct. Yeah, that's a good point because you know we don't. It's not one cell you know that's created through these negotiations. Uh, yeah. The foreign national youth use our immigration process to come to Canada using our admissibility rules, and then you know a Canadian, by contrast, has to apply through the process of the other country, and so you know for privacy reasons, for their own administrative reasons, we don't often see that data except in the aggregate because we, you know, they'll send us uh, information on how many youth have actually accessed the equivalent permit. Do you have any um, interesting or remarkable stories of participants who, from Canada or coming into Canada um, from, the, from your time at IEC that you can share? I mean, I, I kind of struggle with this question because there's so many. Uh, there's so many stories that we've heard, some of which we profiled on our YouTube channel um, and or through other testimonials. Um, you know, we're constantly hearing amazing stories of what youth do with the opportunity. And we profiled some of them, but there are you know, many other examples. Um, we've had occasion to see you know, Indigenous to Indigenous youth exploring the other Indigenous culture through job exchanges. We've seen youth who've you know, farmed in New Zealand and Australia. We've seen youth working on, you know, high tech and you know, drone technology and, you know, other other really fascinating things through either a, you know, kind of a work term or a, uh, an international co-op, uh, you know, during their studies. Um, you know, but the, the I want to point out that the job itself that a Canadian youth gets is almost secondary to the excitement that they show when they're asked about their experience. You know, it's clear that the experience changes them on so many levels um, and their outlook on life and their career and personal choices are enriched by the experience. So, and, you know, we've even had some former participants uh, actually be hired by the program as what we term youth ambassadors to be able to demonstrate, you know, to other youth um, how you can go about an international experience and what benefits as a result. So what trends have you seen in the last few years in terms of Canadians? I think kind of touched on that when we talked about where they're going, but mm -hmm. any other trends in the... I mean, overarchingly, I, I guess the, 
the big trend we can't ignore is COVID-19. Um, you know, the past couple of years slowly emerging from this, this period where there was an absolute collapse of youth mobility and travel due to the pandemic. So that said that, you know, the, the 2022 year that we're seeing so far is a vast improvement, um, from the earlier stages of the pandemic, you know, by and large, uh, conditions in Canada in terms of COVID-19, a lot of the rules and restrictions have been relaxed. We've seen a mirrored effect in other countries, but every country is a little bit different, you know, and most of the countries we, that we partner with have opened up their borders to, to youth to work and travel again. Um, we're only slowly seeing a recovery, um, both from the inbound side, and we're kind of still waiting to hear uh, through the exchange of stats from the other countries how well things are going now for Canadians outbound. One thing we've noticed is, I think, you know, Canada and Ireland, I don't know if, if you increased the quota a number of years ago, but all of a sudden there were a lot more Irish in Canada everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of them come and get jobs in ski resorts and they love Vancouver where, where our headquarters are. So we see a lot of them. And I'm wondering if that connection with the Irish is now what's driving the interest in Canadians to go to Ireland, because we're seeing a lot more people contacting us about work and travel in Ireland than we've seen in the last, like pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it's so interesting when we do get the chance to deep dive into some of the trends and, and reasons why. I mean, we could point to the fact that, you know, the the Celtic Tiger days in Ireland of the early 2000s kind of collapsed. And then, you know, that coupled with an increase in quota might have accounted for you seeing a lot more Irish. Well, now, you know, Ireland's economy is resurgent again. Um, You know, those those opportunities exist. There is, I think it's fair to say, a pent up demand for Canadian youth to have that experience. They've been deprived for three years and, you know, we've counseled them to plan now, travel later for so long that I think now they're ready to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we've got this issue in Ireland of, especially in Dublin, not all over Ireland, but the problem of, of housing being so um, hard to find even for the Irish. So it's it's uh, it's it's about getting it all, you know, the timing all right. When do you want to yeah. go? When are the borders open? And, and is it, you know, the right time to go to that destination, given what's going on economically um, and in the housing market? So, yeah. And that's why I think it's so important for youth to plan and, you know, yeah. We have access to so much information now um, about another country, um, you know, and translation services are instantaneous and you can get a flavor for what the country conditions are at the time through a variety of sources. And, you know, that can influence your decision on which country to choose um, when you're looking at the spread of IEC countries we have arrangements with. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that's a great tip um, is, you know, looking at the research the IEC has done. And then obviously the uh, organizations like ours, Go International, we do a lot of research ourselves, but we're talking to partner organizations on the ground in those countries, you know, daily. So we know what's the current real situation on the ground in terms of people being able to find jobs, find accommodation, travel. Um, so the combination gives you a really good picture. of Is this the right time to go to this destination for what I want to do? Yeah. yeah. You know, and some people are, are interested in or able to self-direct on that, but having an organization like yours who are looking out yeah. for 
those types of trends and, you know, also the other needs of a youth is, is valuable as well. So what other um, tips would you give someone who's interested in working and traveling abroad? I mean, I think we've discussed some of them already. Um, you know, the first thing I'd say is while COVID-19 is, we're hoping becoming a manageable public health issue, um, we still have to be vigilant, you know, and I really would counsel youth planning on undertaking a youth or an international exchange or an international experience to look at the COVID-19 restrictions and the vaccine requirements in the other country before they book the ticket. You know, the last thing you'd want is to try to arrive in a country and then be denied entry because you haven't paid attention to those rules that may exist in other countries. We can't apply our own norms and rules to the decisions of another country if they're facing a different public health crisis than we are at the time. You know, I think uh, in general, doing your own research, um, figuring out you know, what it is you want to do, um, you know, looking at job banks, looking at uh, areas that, you know, other youth congregate and have success in finding employment in, you know, considering using a recognized organization. If you need that level of support, um, you know, your organization and others have affiliates in the other countries that can provide that intelligence, also the orientation. Um, and, you know, even an emergency situation can be uh, a source of some support, you know, so there's, you know, definitely that route as well. Um, in general, it's be informed, have fun with this, look at the opportunities that are out there. Um, we have a lot of reliable information from the government of Canada's web resources like travel.gc.ca, which can describe some of the security conditions, health conditions in a given country. Um, you know, we have our own website that has a profile page for each of our country partners that gives you some tips and some, you know, just some cultural points that you might want to know about before you apply. And then, of course, that also includes a link to the immigration service of that country so you can start, you know, building that application to go abroad. You know, it's just, you know, research the conditions of entry in the country, its job market, um, you know, and the other work and travel requirements that may apply in those countries. You know, um, I guess, for instance, some countries require um, proof of funds. So, so they know that you can survive for a time in the country before you find a job. Um, you know, and there are other requirements of that nature. Sometimes you have to check in at an interior ministry office um, at an appointed time just to extend your stay or make sure that you're registered. Um, so it's just being, being informed about those kinds of things makes your life a lot simpler later on. Um, you know, and mentioned again, Support services are available um, you know, for a fee often um, with the, the recognized organizations. Um, so, you know, as a start, I'd strongly consider uh, or just uh, suggest that you visit our website at canada.ca slash IEC. Uh, as mentioned, we have a lot of information about our country partners, a lot of information about the process. And, you know, it also includes links to some of our recognized organization partners. So I just really encourage people to live their dream and find you know, a way to go abroad. You know, the, the IEC pathway is built for you. You just have to access it. And I think, you know, the, the challenges and paperwork will fade away 
given the benefits that you'll actually receive from an international experience. All great advice. And you know what we'll do is uh, there'll be uh, these links that you've just mentioned. We'll make sure those will be or they are in the um, description of this podcast. So we'll uh, be sharing those with everyone. Um, Sean, you talked so passionately about going abroad. Have you had an experience of working overseas yourself? <laughs> uh, the question I wasn't looking forward to. Um, you know, uh, like so many people my age, uh, I never took part in IEC when I was youth. I didn't know it existed. Yeah. I didn't know that there were pathways to be able to do these types of things. I did uh, at, at different points try to join, you know, development programs like Canada World Youth and QSO. Unfortunately, was screened out of those programs, and so you know my experience is more personal. Um, obviously, several you know um, rite of passage, backpack, backing uh, you know, experiences in Europe. Yeah. Uh, did an extended trip in India um, and South Asia, and you know I also got a chance to be a delegate at a Commonwealth Youth Conference in Guyana, which gave me the opportunity to see that part of South America, which yeah. was really fascinating. But I, I keep on, you know, advocating at the office to say that we really should have another, you know, tranche of the program for mature young at <laughs> hearts like me. But so far I've been shot down. So, you know, but I will say 18 to 35 is pretty generous. And, you know, I would really encourage young people to try it. Yeah, a lot of people, when I tell them you can go up to the age of the 35 and they're in their 30s, like, really? I'm still considered a youth? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. But you're right, for the young at heart. There should be one for the youth and one for the young at heart. There really uh, should. Yeah. So we'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. It's really just been a pleasure to catch up and to get this opportunity to, you know, dive into this information a little more deeply and share it with our listeners so again, everyone, this was Sean Lynch from the IEC, part of the Canadian government. Thank you, Sean, for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a great experience. Well, that's all for this episode of Canadians Working Travel Abroad. I'm Tamsin Plaxton, and thanks for joining us. We would love to hear from you. So if you have feedback or ideas of other topics you would like us to cover in new episodes, please contact us. Our email address is programs, P-R-O-G-R-A-M-S, programs at gointernational.ca. And if you want to learn more about the programs we currently offer, please visit our website, www.gointernational.ca. And in order to help us find more Canadians and share this information, please like and review this podcast. We want to get the word out. Thanks so much.